It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. How have the Jazz built this 10-game winning streak? Is Rudy Gobert as important offensively as defensively? Will Utah keep this pace up and make the playoffs? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Hey, sports fans, Coach Nick here, and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast. Today, I am pleased to bring on the show Tony Jones, who is the Utah Jazz beat writer for the Salt Lake Tribune and a guy who I need to talk to because I'm in the midst of doing a video on this jazz streak and I want to know what the heck is going on with the jazz. So, Tony, thank you for joining us. How's it going today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it and uh, I appreciate your patience in uh, connecting with me and, and I appreciate all of the Twitter banter between us. Absolutely. That's always fun to have that. And then to connect actually in real light in real time is great as well. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been a, a nice whirlwind for you, I suppose. Ten game winning streak. Ricky Rubio was on fire, low, low, you know, uh, volume, but certainly shooting some stuff. So what's changed? What has changed with the Jazz that's made them so dangerous recently? Well, I think the first thing that changed is that uh, Rudy Gobert is healthy mm-hmm. and he's playing to me, I think he has an impact, the kind of impact of a top 10, top 12 player um, in the league because um, defensively he just shuts everything down. I mean, the, the minute that he came back, they became uh, an elite top three defense. And, you know, it kind of all starts from there. And, you know, Donovan Mitchell has obviously been very, very dynamic on the offensive end. Um, but Ricky Rubio has been dynamic and Joe Ingles is they've both been dynamic on the offensive end as well. Um, I mean, you know, you look at the 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 major um, storylines, those are the major storylines. And then there are secondary storylines. You know, the Jazz are really tough, really got tougher defensively with um, the emergence of, of Royce O'Neal. Um, on the perimeter uh, because he's just been ter- terrific defensively. Um, I think they got a little bit more versatile defensively in the last two games with, um, I mean, obviously they had to give up Rodney Hood to do it, but with the acquisition of Jay Crowder and all of the role players are, are just playing really well. But I mean, I think, you know, this winning streak, it just all starts with Gobert. I mean, he is simply playing like a superstar right now and, um, teams simply can't get to the basket. Um, and when they do get to the basket, their conversion rate is low. Last night, notwithstanding, because Paul Gasol uh, from the Spurs played really, really, really well, well against Gobert. Um, but, you know, the Jazz are finding ways to win. And, you know, more impressive with this winning streak is kind of who they've beaten uh, to go along with it. Yeah, I, I actually tweeted out a video of O'Neal with uh, behind the back, you know, dribble and then floater uh, move that was really impressive. And I hadn't really ever seen him before. So briefly give us some insight into who that is and and why he hasn't been on anyone's radar until recently. Well, he was was a guy who played at Baylor. 
um, with uh, General Manager Dennis Lindsay's son, Jake Lindsay. Oh. Uh, in fact, I don't think him and Jake actually played together, um, but they they kind of crossed paths on campus, and, and Dennis Lindsay watched him play at Baylor. Um, he was an undrafted rookie two years ago, I believe. Uh, he went overseas. He was in um, he was in the, uh, the the New Orleans Pelicans summer league. Um, he he was over he was overseas. Really didn't I mean it, like he was an overseas guy, but he wasn't a star. Um, so this was a real deep scouting uh, thing, <laughs> and they signed him. And I think everybody when they signed him was uh, really baffled because the Jazz signed him and guaranteed fully the first year of his contract. Um, uh, and, and they guaranteed his contract for, for the first year. And the second and third years, he's on team option. Um, and the contracts are non-guaranteed. Um, and then when he got on the court in the preseason, I mean, there was just something about him. Every time he got on the floor, you know, he rebounded the ball. You know, he... He uh, was he he dribbled the ball up the floor. He was a good passer. I mean, he just kind of did everything. Um, and you know, I was like, okay, well, you know, this is preseason, and he's playing against third team scrubs. And you know, he made the team, and then eventually he started getting five minutes a game. Then eventually he started getting ten minutes a game. And every time with increased usage, uh, he did the same things. And right now, I mean, he's a guy who just kind of does everything. And he's uh, he's developing into a terrific defender uh, and a guy who can spot up and make threes or a guy who can get to the basket and score. He's a good passer. Uh, you see, he's turning, I mean, he's he's one of the best finds that, that I've, I've seen a GM make. And, and the Jazz are going to have him. He's going to be a major part of their rotation. And they're going to have him on the minimum for the next two years. Wow. I mean, he's got a really good agent, it sounds like, to get him the guarantee at least the first year. Uh, maybe that was the trade-off. We'll get, give us a guarantee the first year. We'll give you the team option the next two. Uh, and either way, it's been uh, great. And it seems like the reason why he's getting more time now is because Rodney Hood has now been traded away. Is that safe to say? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's one of the, he's one of the reasons why the Jazz were comfortable with trading Rodney Hood away. Because they, they realized that, you know, he could handle – uh, the increased responsibility of minutes. And last night, you know, he won Jazz the game. Um, they were they were up two. And in that final possession, he guarded Manu Ginobili and Kyle Anderson on the same possession. He shut down Manu Ginobili. Uh, he switched to Kyle Anderson, and he was in an ISO situation. And, you know, he, he, he shut down Kyle Anderson as well. You know, he's turning into a really switchy, versatile guy who can guard uh, pretty much one through four. And, you know, the, the jazz, that that's a lot more defensive versatility that, you know, the jazz have coming off their bench than, than, than they used to have. And, 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 and O'Neal's been able to provide that. Yeah. It was a crazy finish to a game that was sort of a seesaw affair. Um, and I'm just kind of curious, where was your heart when Manu flipped the ball up just before the buzzer and the, the ball underhand, like basically from three-point land, which would have been the game winner, and it hits off the front of the rim. Did you, uh, did you fall off your chair at all in the, in the midst of that? 
Well, the funny thing is, in, in real time, when I saw it um, from my vantage point, the only thing that you could see was the ball actually hitting the rim as time expired. It wasn't until, you know, you saw the replay of it that you realized, like, wow, like, that went in. And, you know, it was, it was, it would have been a fitting into that game because it was a crazy game and it would have been a fitting in for, you know, Mono to, uh, to make a crazy shot. And, and, you know, let's keep it real. That's, that would have been the most Mono Ginobili shot ever because, I mean, he just, you know, he just does that. Like he missed a wide open three pointer in the last two minutes. He missed a free throw in the last two minutes and then he almost makes that. And that's just, you know, kind of Mono Ginobili. Absolutely. In fact, he hits that one. Maybe we're not talking. I'm talking to Jeff McDonald and we're doing a, a <laughs> video instead. But um, at any rate, um, so let's talk about the offense, because we know that Gobert has anchored elite defenses in the past and they've really been terrific on that end. In fact, yeah, and, this, and since he's come back, they're third in the league in defensive rating when you look at the numbers. But what's more surprising to me, obviously, is that in the last 13 games, they're fifth in offensive rating. And they've had I mean, when I say explosions, I mean, 140 points, I believe, in one of those games. And, like, just just detonating. Um, let's see here. If we look really quickly. Uh, yeah, 129, 133, 120, 129 again. A lot, of, a lot of points. What's the key here, and can they sustain that? Well, I think the key here is, is how Ricky Rubio's been able to play. Um, he's playing with a lot of pace. He's making the mid-range jumpers that teams regularly consistently concede to him. Um, and he's making threes now and he's getting guys, you know, into the right spots and the pick and roll with him and, and, and Gobert has, has started to work when it didn't look like it would work all season. Um, and then, you know, Joe Ingles has been, uh, terrific in, in the last 10 games or something. Um, just really, really terrific. And, and Donovan Mitchell is, is a closer. Uh, he closed the, 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 the Trailblazers out. Um, he closed the Spurs out last night. Um, you know, he's a really special talent uh, on both ends of the floor. And, um, and it's, it's interesting because I don't think that Donovan Mitchell right now, this version of Donovan Mitchell is, is better than last year's version of Gordon Hayward um, as an all-around player. Um, but I absolutely think that he's a better closer than, than Gordon Hayward's ever been. And, and he's got more upside than what Gordon Hayward's last year was. So wow. it's, it's, it's a, it's, it's something that, you know, I feel like, you know, I guess it's, it's, uh, it's proof that everything happens for a reason because, um, if Gordon Hayward has stayed, I don't think Donovan Mitchell would be allowed to have been allowed to room to grow like this uh, in terms of usage. Um, and and Mitchell looks like he can really, really, really be a star in this league. Um, so it it's uh it, it's interesting. Uh, I, I wonder if Jazz fans would trade what's going on right now for how they were last year. You know, it would be close to my eyes.
Yeah, well, I now have the quote I'm going to light you up with on Twitter with the link, which would be that <laughs> that uh, Donovan Mitchell is a better closer than Hayward ever was. I think it's a, but but I think you're right. I mean, if you watch last night's game, certainly he didn't play that well or he didn't shoot that well, right? He was off for a lot of the game, but then all of a sudden when they needed it and he came down and he had like some mid range, just really clutch, and you can sense that, and that's what's exciting about it because. Uh, again, you want to throw Donovan Mitchell in there. Now you're talking about O'Neal, and they have, you know, they've made some really good picks uh, in the in the last several years that have developed. Uh, so here's my question then about the Rodney Hood, because we mentioned that before. Was so I don't know if you've been aware of, like the Rodney Hood mama meme that I tried to get going on Twitter uh, through various times, and um, I was all in. I thought that he was on his way to becoming just a really terrific player. It's going to take control with Hayward gone. What happened? What 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 held him back? Well, Donovan Mitchell happened, and <laughs> um, you know that's 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 pretty much what happened. I mean, Donovan Mitchell's emergence um, kind of made Rodney expendable a little bit because you know the the it, with Quinn's offense, you know you kind of only want one guy who's really ball in hand in terms of a high usage guy who's gonna you know who who you want to hijack possessions who you want hijacking possessions and taking pick and roll and just want, you know, he wants a guy that, you know, and ideally you just, okay, clear everything out, run pick and roll right here and we'll, we'll see what we get off of it. Um, and Donovan became that guy and there was less use for Rodney's skill set uh, when Donovan did become that guy. And, and I'm with you and I've, I've been on the, the Rodney Hood um, trained for three, four years now. And I think, I still think that he's going to be a terrific player. And I think he's going to be terrific in Cleveland playing with LeBron James. Um, you know, but, you know, like I said, you know, the last question, I mean, Donovan Mitchell has developed into a star. And, you know, when you have that guy, have a guy like Donovan who's, who's that dynamic, you want the ball in his hands. Um, and and he's quickly become that guy, and and I think that that's one of the reasons. Once that happened, then you know the question becomes: Okay, well, if he's going to be our sixth man, do we want to pay him twelve to fifteen million dollars a year? Um, and you know, right now, next year, you know, I think that they're going to be paying. I mean, you look at, I think they're going to be paying like a total of ten million dollars to Donovan Mitchell, Royce O'Neal, and Jay Crowder. Right. I mean, that's pretty much insane. So if you have, you know, if you have your best offensive player, you have, you know, a starter level wing, and then you have a really valuable role player combined making $10 million, how much roster flexibility do you have financially? You know, so I think that it was, it was an easy decision uh, to, 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 for the Jazz to make the move that they did in light of all of that. Well, where I want to go is to talk about cooking fantastic home-cooked meals by the leading meal kit delivery service in the U.S., Blue Apron. When you cook with Blue Apron, you're not just having burgers for dinner. You're making short rib burgers with a hoppy cheddar sauce on a pretzel bun. You're preparing seared steaks and thyme pan sauce with mashed potatoes, green beans, and crispy shallots all in under 45 minutes and without a trip to the grocery store. I just made hoisin glazed pork chops in a live show on Periscope and hundreds of people joined me to see how easy it is to follow Blue Apron's recipes to make delicious food that impressed my whole family. 
For eight weeks, Blue Apron is teaming with Whole30 to bring you delicious recipes. Their menus will feature two Whole30 approved recipes each week, like seared steaks and warm lemon salsa verde with roasted broccoli and sweet potato. Blue Apron is treating B-Ball Breakdown listeners to 30 bucks off your first order if you visit blueapron.com slash coachnick. So check out this week's menu and get your 30 bucks off with free shipping at blueapron.com slash coachnick. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. So with your access in the locker room, I'm kind of curious about what you're hearing from, from Quinn Snyder and from the players themselves about, um, you know, has anything changed with Rudy Gobert uh, offensively that has ignited a lot more of their scoring? Well, I mean, I think the Rudy's impact offensively really started last year. And, you know, it's, it's not readily apparent to um, what his offensive impact is to a basketball novice. Um, but, you know, I think, I think it's very apparent. I mean, it's really apparent to me. I mean, he's hugely impactful offensively. And, um, you know, not, in fact, I mean, he's impactful to the point where I should have mentioned him when you asked me why offensively at the Jazz. You know, I mean, he's very, very impactful because he's one of the best screeners that I've ever seen. And he consistently sets screens that allow his guards to get separation going into the lane. And when his guards get downhill, he is able to put stress on the defense because he's so athletic and he's so big coming down the lane. Sometimes he catches the pass, sometimes he doesn't. <laughs> um, but the fact that he's, he's coming down the lane and teams have to pay attention to that, backside defender has to crash down, or uh, what happens is you're playing you know, basically two-on-one coming down the lane coming downhill and you know if the backside defender crashes then you have uh, a weak side open corner and a three um if the the help side up top crashes then you have an above the break then you have a possibility for an above the break three then the jazz play off of that and then they're making their threes so you know i think it all starts with gobert uh in terms of the screen he sets because and, and that's benefited Joe Ingles uh, the most because Joe Ingles has become a real cerebral pick-and-roll player. I mean, he's become a really good pick-and-roll player. And, you know, when he comes off with separation, he knows how to make decisions um, that put, put, a defense, uh, put a defense in issue. So, you know, when they were playing against Portland and you were playing against Yusuf Nurkic, He's not great in pick and roll. He's not a great pick and roll defender. And the Jazz consistently uh, exploited that, uh, especially in the second half. Um, and then later at Davis when Nurkic went out with an injury. Uh, last night, you know, they did the same thing to Pau Gasol. Pau Gasol had great numbers, but the Jazz really killed him in pick and roll uh, in the fourth quarter, like just destroyed him. Um, um, you know, so I, I think. You know, Gobert is, is hugely impactful. Uh, his numbers probably won't show. He's never going to score like 17, 18 points a game. Um, but, you know, he opens everything up in Quinn's offense with the screens that he sets.
For sure. So let's talk about Ingles for a second because he's a really uh, an interesting player uh, and very different. And, you know, you can call him awkward, you call him whatever you like, but effective is probably the word. So it looks to me, so first of all, he's shooting in the last, you know, 13 games, he's shooting 55.7% from three-point land on six attempts per game in only 30, in 30 minutes or 31 minutes. So I have to imagine when you're when you're looking at the footage, what he's benefiting from is probably the Rudy Gobert is rolling and then he is filling the backside. They're throwing it to him for threes, right? Is that sort of what he's getting a lot of those th- catch and shoot threes? Uh, he gets a lot of catch and shoot threes from the corner. He gets he's starting to get a lot of uh, threes above the break. Um, the difference between him is he sh- with him right now is now he's shooting ball in hand threes uh, and he's shooting off the dribble. Um, and he's become more aggressive at it. I mean, he's he's always been a 45, well, not always been, but since last year, he's been a 45% three-point shooter. Um, but his volume was low, and he was passing shots up. And Quinn Snyder, um, Quinn Snyder spent a good, you know, three months this season hammering to him like, hey, you know, Joe, uh, we don't have Gordon Hayward anymore, so we're going to need you to take those shots. And, you know, they, you know, he's stressed and stressed that because sometimes Joe Ingles passes up a three because he's naturally an unselfish guy and he pass, you pass up that three at 12 in the shot clock, you, didn't, you never get another look as, as, as quality as, as the shot that you just passed up. So, you know, about three weeks ago, Joe started taking six threes a game, and he's still making 45% of them. And that's that's kind of where you can see, you know, where his scoring has come up. But his usage has increased, and his pick-and-roll usage has increased, and he's really good at, you know, reading a defender. So defenders are worried about the lob, then Joe goes in and he waltzes in for a layup. Um, and, and he's at, he's actually starting to put a floater into his, in, into his game that he didn't, he absolutely didn't have, uh, coming into the NBA. So, um, you know, I've always said that, that Quinn Snyder's developmental program is, is one of the best, uh, in the league, hands down. And Joe Ingles is, is a big example of that. I mean, he's a guy who's, improved at 27, 28, 29, 30 years old. You don't often see uh, guys improving um, at that age. Yeah, and I, I was going to do a video on on strange pick-and-roll combinations or perhaps unique, so like Steph and, and Durant, like Steph's uh, ball screening for Kevin Durant. And uh, part, one of the things that has to be on the top of the list would have to be Joe Ingles' ball handling and then anybody basically ball screening for him. And that, that seems to be a bit of a revelation as well. Uh, if you look at the synergy numbers, they're not great as him as a pick-and-roll ball handler but as far as efficiency, but you know, it's his second most used category by far, and I think that must unlock a lot of things for this offense when he can make those decisions, and now he's got the floater, and he can then set guys up because he's tall and he can see. Um, you know, did, has Quinn Snyder talked about the evolution of allowing him to do so many pick-and-rolls? Yeah, he's talked about it. I mean, but you know, I think that Joe's proven that he can handle it, and you know, and I think it's it's one of those things coming. It's one of those things that have given the Jazz the ability to be a surprise offensively coming into the season. 
you know, I think everybody was like, okay, where are the points going to come from? And if you look at pick and roll usage, you would say, okay, you know, your pick and roll combination is going to be Gobert and Rubio. And, you know, Rodney Hood could probably handle a little pick and roll. But, you know, Joe Ingles did not handle a lot of pick and roll at all um, in his in, in his first uh, three seasons with the Jets. So, you know, you, nobody was counting on him as, as, a, as a volume pick and roll ball handler. And he's become that. And, you know, you never know as a rookie what a what a rookie's gonna give to you. So nobody thought that Donovan Mitchell would become so dynamic off the pick and roll, but he's become that. And there, you know, Joe's become dynamic. Joe and Donovan become dynamic in different in different ways. You know, when Don, when Donovan Mitchell comes off the pick and roll, he gets downhill. He's trying to get to the basket and he's trying to score. Um, when Joe Ingles comes downhill off the pick and roll, you know, he's reading a defense and, and he's looking to either score or he's looking to, to, uh, for the lob or he's looking to, to set other teammates up. So it's, it's different actions and different, uh, stuff that teams have to be worried about defensively, uh, in the same, in the same shot clock. And the Jazz make you defend for 24 minutes. I mean, 24 seconds every possession. Teams don't like defending 24 seconds. They want to, you know, defend, they'll defend hard for 10 seconds. And, you know, then, you know, that's where the discipline comes in. And, you know, a lot, a lot of teams really aren't disciplined after, you know, in the last 10 seconds of the shot clock. And, and that's where the Jazz get a lot of, get, take advantage of a lot of breakdowns. So, you know, I think, um, you know, the emergence of angles, the emergence of, the emergence of Mitchell uh, and, you know, Ricky Rubio being able to improve uh, on the fly, they, they've, it's made the Jazz a lot more dynamic offensively than, than anybody would have ever thought this season. For sure. I, you know, I'm looking at the passing numbers. It's kind of curiosity. And they're, they're seventh in passes made per game, which is obviously a lot of ball movement there. But what's interesting is that they don't get a lot of assists uh, comparatively. Um, so I suppose that kind of taps into what you're talking about as far as they're going to make the defense work, they're going to throw passes, they're going to go side to side and take their time. Um, and then, I, well, I suppose then, yeah, it, the, there was the shots that are resulting are either going in without an assist or, uh, you know, and this is, this is the full, the full season wide. I'm going to try and isolate in a second whether or not it's the same for the last 13 games. But I think that that's indicative of those stats right there, right? That they're just trying to take their time, move that ball around and make the defense work. Yeah, absolutely. And, and they weren't getting a lot of assists um, in the first three months of the season. But if you look at the numbers in the in the in the last 13 games, I mean, uh, they've spiked the assist numbers have spiked. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, guys come off the dribble, they attack closeouts uh, once they get the defense on their heels and, you know, two or three dribbles, you know, it, it, it's kind of hard to get assists that way a little bit. But um, the assist numbers have definitely spiked in the last uh, in the last ten to thirteen games, um, just without looking at the numbers. But you know, it's 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 just kind of different than the way a lot of team the Jazz play offense different than a lot of than the way a lot of teams play offense. Um, you know, it's very it's very Spurs like. You know, you know Donovan Mitchell said to me last night. He was he's like, well, you know, playing the Spurs was like playing ourselves <laughs> and then he said or is it like 
ourselves playing the Spurs. I mean, it was just kind of like, you know, the the, the Spider Man meme where you know Spidey's pointing at Spidey, and and that was kind of what what that was kind of what the uh, what the Jazz and, and and the Spurs were like last night. Yeah, it was funny because I was at the Spurs Warriors game over the weekend in, in Oakland, and it, the same kind of thing. And I asked Steve Kerr about that. Like I said, is it weird? to sort of see that you guys are running the same sets and the same actions back and forth. And, and I, I think he didn't, I think he sort of, you know, pointed out to Utah to a whole bunch of teams that are doing it. So it's sort of taking over the league as it is, you know, all, well, all of pops guys. Uh, and then certainly uh, Quinn Snyder is one of those. I'll uh, be briefly. So, um, so it's not surprising, but it certainly is fascinating to watch because you would imagine that maybe uh, they'd be better at defending it because they know how it's run. Um, I, is there, has anyone talked about that at all to you? Well, and, and from the Spurs perspective, from, from the Jazz perspective, I mean, from the Jazz perspective, I imagine. Yeah. With last night with the Spurs. Yeah. Or, or anytime in the last, whatever, like, I'm sure it's come up before, right? Where they're like, Oh, this is kind of interesting. We're playing the mirror version. Yeah. Well, you know, last night, I mean, I think that, um, Gasol, Gasol played so well and, and uh, Kyle Anderson also played really well. I mean, you know, it was it was hard because, you know, when you when you try to prepare for the Spurs, you're you're preparing for Kawhi Leonard, and there's no Kawhi Leonard. Then you're preparing for Lamarcus Aldridge, and there's no Lamarcus Aldridge. Then you're coming off of a you're on the back end of a back to back. Um, you know, so there's that that dynamic as well. Um, and you know, when the Spurs make you defend for 24 seconds. Um, then all of a sudden, you know, back to back, you have no legs going into the third quarter and then boom, you get outscored, you know, whatever they got outscored in the third quarter and you're down 15, 13 in the fourth quarter. Um, I thought the Spurs did a really good job last night of, of putting stress on the jazz defensively. Um, you know, there wasn't a lot of, you know, pick and pops for LaMarcus Aldridge because it wasn't there. There wasn't a lot of post-ups for LaMarcus, so it wasn't there. So it was a game that the Jazz had to defend on the move for 48 minutes. Um, there just wasn't a lot of, you know, isolation defending. And, um, you know, and I think that that was difficult for them. Um, you know, Donovan Mitchell said after the game last night, he, he said, man, I, I think I'm just going to sleep all day. <laughs> and... You know, I think that was exactly what a lot of the, the the kind of what a lot of the Jazz were feeling. Like it was just, it was just a really tiring, tedious experience. I mean, you know, Pop really made um, Pop really made um, playing playing the Spurs last night going like a trip to the dentist, and I think that they deserve a lot of props for that. For sure. Well, let's uh, as we wrap up, let's look at the overview of the 10 game winning streak to see just how much mirage it is or it isn't. So 10 games, seven of them on the road, which I think is probably the most impressive of all of them. Two of them against the Spurs, one at the Spurs and then obviously one last night at home. And then also on the road at the Raptors, uh, another really big win early on in that streak. Uh, then you have your Phoenix and you have your, you know, Detroit and the Charlottes. You have some of those wins as well. But another a win at Portland, which is not easy to do at all. So what do you make of this? Is this kind of like going forward? They're going to continue this. Uh, well, they continue to play this level and then march into the uh, uh, a higher seed of, in the playoffs. 
Well, if you look at the winning streak, I mean, they've, they've won in different ways. Um, they shot the lights out against Golden State. Um, they shot the lights out against Phoenix, uh, where they were just pretty much making 60% of their threes, and that was unsustainable. Um, they grinded out a win um, against Memphis. They, you know, they, they pulled away in the fourth quarter against Charlotte. Um, they blew out, uh, they had a, a big third quarter against Portland where they blew them out, well, where they blew out the Blazers and they rallied from 13 down with nine minutes to go against San Antonio. So just off the top of my head, I think they've won 10 games in like six different ways. And they rallied from, I think eight down in the last three minutes to beat Detroit um, and they hit a last second and they hit a buzzer, a, pretty much a buzzer beater against, uh, against Toronto. So they've won in a lot of different ways. So it, it, it's not just a team just making all of its shots, um, and, and winning that way, um, which, you know, you know, the shooting comes back down to earth. So I think that the, the, the constant is that the Jazz are once again elite defensively um, because for two months they were absolutely struggling defensively um, from where we thought that they were going to be. Um, you know, so I, I think that, you know, that's the most sustainable part about this run. Um, and, and I think they won with Donovan Mitchell scoring 40. They won with Donovan Mitchell scoring six. Uh, they've won with Donovan Mitchell shooting 9 of 28 from the field. Um, they've won without Donovan Mitchell altogether. They've won without Ricky. They've won two games without Ricky Rubio altogether. Um, you know, so they figure out a, a number of ways to win. And you know, of their uh, of their last, so what are they? 29 and 28. So of their last five games. You know, 20 of those games are against teams that they really have a chance of beating. So, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what they do down the stretch. Um, but, you know, if I mean, they have 25 games left and 15 of them are home games um, where they typically play well. So it'll be interesting to see um, where they play. I, I mean, I did a story on this. You know, you look at Denver's – schedule down the stretch it's it's brutal you look at portland schedule uh you look at the clipper schedule and you look at oklahoma city schedule you know all of all of those teams have difficult they have difficult landings the jazz because they play that insanely difficult um december schedule uh they have a pretty soft landing so um it'll be interesting to see down the stretch uh, but the jazz have put themselves They've at least given themselves a chance. And three weeks ago, uh, I don't think that they had a chance. For sure, for sure. Well, it's, it'll be exciting. They're down. They're a game and a half behind the eighth place New Orleans Pelicans, who are in a bit of a free fall at having lost Boogie and then sort of just can't quite figure out who they are yet uh, mm-hmm. after that. So it's certainly I, – I agree. I think there's a real great chance for them to, to make a run here. And, you know, it's all bunched up down there in the six, seven, eight spots, and they – they could very well be one of those teams that nobody wants to play uh, in the playoffs uh, coming in. Being, I mean, I, let's put it this way. If they do make the playoffs, they're most likely going to be one of the hottest teams 
playing at that moment. So that's going to be something that's going to scare a lot of those guys above them, I, I would imagine, to some degree. So we'll have to wait and see. But this was awesome, Tony. I really appreciate you coming on the show and breaking it down for us. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. You got it. And we'll catch up with you later to see how accurate these predictions are. Uh, and don't forget, sports fans, at B-Ball Breakdown, not a channel, we're a conversation. You in? Are you in, Tony? I'm in. I'm always in. All right. <laughs>